Hollywood Hoop Dreams aren't only made from magic, they also come in the form of original podcasts from the Hoop Ball Network. So if you're the Lakers zooming out, are you tempted to bring back DeMarcus Cousins in the playoffs? And do you disrupt the dynamic at that point if he's healthy enough to play? Join Ethan, JC, and the thriving Lakers community around the world to talk about all things Lakers. The Lakers this season has come to expect of this team is consistent winning. That is something we have not been able to say since I've seen Andrew Bynum in a Lakers uniform. The show is available everywhere Paul are found and you can follow the show on twitter at hoopball lakers the following is a hoopball presentation welcome to the fantasy nba today podcast Good morning once again, everybody. Welcome to another week of Fantasy NBA Today, your hoopball fantasy NBA destination. I am Dan Vespers, your gracious host. Thanks again for coming along with us as we embark upon another five days of waiting. Of waiting. That's where we're at right now. We, uh, Our Friday show last week brought us officially under the six-week mark until the NBA resumes on July the 30th, and so now we're at five weeks and three days, which, if I'm doing my math properly, is 38 days until the NBA comes back. That's a very, it's an oddly reachable number. 40s doesn't feel like you can reach out and grab it. 30s feels like you can reach out and touch it. I think because months tend to be 30 or 31. Sorry, February. You're not a full month. And so when you hear 30-something, you start to think, Oh boy, we're in that one month range. About a week longer. About a week longer than a month until the NBA comes back. It's a relatively big week because by Wednesday of this week, players have to notify their teams if they're not going to be joining them in Orlando. And we already saw the first case of that this morning, this being Monday morning, with Davis Bertans opting out of the NBA resumption in Orlando. Uh, I don't know if he's been excused this sounds like an unexcused absence which means he'll lose a couple of dollars one 92nd of his of his salary per game but ultimately eight 90 seconds of his salary this year which i think we did the math on that last week is like that nine percent of whatever he was going to get paid this season pales in comparison to what Davis Bertans is going to make in free agency this offseason. Now, I know everything is all screwball because of the loss of revenue and because we may not have fans in arenas most of next season either, depending on when the vaccine comes out. I guess there's there's still hope that maybe we see it before this, the 2020 actual calendar year is done. But for Davis Bertans, who uh, made $7 million this year, losing 10% of that roughly, he gives away about $700,000, roughly, again, this is all fuzzy math, in order to probably get a two-, three-, or four-year free agent deal worth, I don't know, $40 million? What do we think for a guy like Davis who can shoot like that in this weird climate? So that's a pretty reasonable trade because if he comes back, suffers a massive injury, or gets, heaven forbid, gets COVID and has some sort of uh, complications that causes him not to be able to breathe well for a while, or even worse, that's a lot of money to leave on the table to try to squeeze out seven hundred grand by returning. 
So he'll give $700,000 back to the Wizards, happily, I would assume, in order to make sure that this coming off season he can get the bag, as they say. And we talked about that a little bit last week, mostly in relation to the Spurs, because once LaMarcus Aldridge ruled himself out, I just kept using Spurs players, largely DeMar DeRozan, who probably felt like he was getting picked on on this podcast, but he just sort of fit uh, a, a mold of what we were looking for, basically someone on a team who doesn't have much of a shot of doing anything during these eight games and has more to gain by sitting out than playing. Davis Bertans has more to get from sitting out than from playing. Bradley Beal, I would argue, has more to get from sitting out versus playing if he wants his Wizards to be competitive next year. He needs to be there for it. Now, I admit, Bradley Beal giving away 10% of his salary this season is a bigger deal. That's almost $3 million. It's a lot to give back, but he does still have some $100 million left on his deal the next three seasons. So if there's an actual injury, provided he doesn't have to retire... He still has plenty coming his way. So you might still see him show up. And, you know, we've, we've heard a lot about, and Beal's been at the forefront of the social movement as well. And maybe he shows up in Orlando mostly just to help push forward whatever the NBA deems to be a proper plan on the social equality front. I don't know. Maybe he decides he'd rather stay out and work on his own stuff. But these teams, most notably the Wizards and the Suns, with an honorable mention to the Spurs, because, yes, they're closer, but they really weren't good all year, and they're down either their best or their second-best player, depending on how you analyze that roster. Three of those 22 teams basically have no business being there. So what, what really is the point? Why, why should Devin Booker go to Orlando? Why should DeAndre Ayton go to Orlando? Why should Bradley Beal go to Orlando? Why should DeMar DeRozan go to Orlando? They shouldn't. Now listen, you guys have heard me on this podcast now for three and a half months talking about how excited I am for the NBA to come back, and I do want it to come back. And I'll admit, even as someone who is, by nature, pretty paranoid about this COVID stuff, I am petrified. We almost go nowhere on a day-to-day basis in my life. We have a 12-week-old baby over here, so that plays a pretty big role in it. Uh, I actually am still relatively confident that the NBA can make this bubble work. It's the one thing that other sports haven't really done. Places that started up sooner didn't put together the kind of insulated bubble that the NBA is trying to do. So when we're hearing about, you know, Novak Djokovic complaining that tennis was too restrictive in what they were expecting the players to do to not get sick, tries to start his own tournament, and then four people or two people get COVID. Okay, yeah, they're going to get it because they weren't taking the necessary precautions. There's also travel. There's golf With golf, there's travel. With tennis, there's travel. Eliminate travel, you eliminate a lot of the potential issue. If the virus isn't in there, someone has to bring it into the bubble. So they move, they quarantine, and hopefully that snuffs it out with testing. But that's not the point of this discussion. The point of this discussion is I'm actually less concerned about that side of things. Even with tests, even with cases in and around the Disney properties going up, it's its own little world out there. If you haven't been there, it's... it's kind of weird it's actually pretty cool but it's kind of weird it's not really a part of a city it's not like 
listen, I, I you know, I'm an I'm a Los Angeles guy, and we have Disneyland here. Uh, Disneyland here is just right in the middle of Anaheim. You get off the freeway, and there it is. Boom! You're driving along on the freeway. You can look over, and you can see the Matterhorn. It's not quite that same way. The Disney World property is its own universe. So there's a way to make that side of things work. That being said, each player has his own sort of ROI, if you want to call it that, for going to this thing. Davos Bertans, there's none. There's no reason for him to go, to play eight games and then to call it a day, to go through a month and a half of intense training to try to get his conditioning up, not get hurt, and play in eight games that don't matter? That's dumb. Especially when his entire financial future is sitting on this offseason. This is his chance to get a big contract. Probably the only one. Who knows? Maybe he's a great shooter forever. Shooters shoot, as they say. But, I mean, this is his, you know, in his prime, get some money. And to me, that feels that same way for a lot of these guys. Davis Bertans is not an old guy, but he's also not, like, first year out of college or anything. He's, he's going to be 28 later this year. So this is the prime contract window. This is the big one. But I don't even care about that side of things. Just from a health standpoint, if there's any chance at all of someone either getting hurt or getting sick in a way that could end their NBA career, which there is with this weird training camp and weird ramp-up, if you don't have a reason to be playing, there's no reason to go. I don't need 22 teams in this thing. I wished, in my very selfish heart, I wished that all 30 teams came and they just played out the rest of the NBA season. But I think we all sort of knew that the odds of that happening were intensely low. And then after, if you just looked at it from a what's the most reasonable thing to do, it would have been just the 16 playoff teams. They have a uh, an extended training camp and then go right into the playoffs. But there was that 70-game regional TV threshold that everybody needed to hit, so they figured out a way to deal with that. They brought in some teams that didn't really have any business being there, the Wizards, the Suns. They gave everybody a chance to see a couple more games of Zion and Damian Lillard. And then we'll roll into the playoffs. But damn, I thought that was on those, particularly on those three teams that almost have no shot at all. There's just no reason for the players to go there. I'm totally fine if you get 19 real teams and three whatever teams that show up in Orlando. They have no business being there, and it's not safe. Just from a health standpoint, we all keep forgetting about the actual nuts and bolts of these players. Every, every conversation is around COVID, which is reasonable, because that's, that's a big thing this year. <laughs> Very big. The only thing at times. Uh, but these guys are going to be going hard when the playoffs hit in particular, and they don't want to blow out a knee. So that makes total sense. I got no problem at all with Davis sitting this thing out. From just Again, from an investment standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. Everybody's like, oh, is he the first domino? I don't know. But again, you look at those three teams in particular, and everybody's like, well, I, on Twitter already, I've seen this morning, what about, you know, there's all these players on, on competing teams that have talked about sitting it out for the, the social justice project. I think those guys ultimately come. I think most of the, that contingent 
ends up coming to Orlando because I think the NBA comes up with a really good plan for how to help further this movement. Which, by the way, what did we talk about two weeks ago? There is going to be media fatigue. It sucks, but it's reality. The media only covers something for so long, and after a certain point, that project, whatever it is, needs to repackage itself. I realize it's so stupid that something this important has to consider itself from a marketing standpoint, but it does, because unfortunately, that's just the way eyeballs work nowadays. So the NBA coming back actually is a wonderful way to repurpose, to repackage this movement for racial justice. When people are already, we're, I mean, we're not even at the end of June, and you're already seeing a certain amount of attrition set in on that front. So I think most of those guys end up coming to Orlando, and I think the people you see sit it out are folks like Davis Bertans, who have way more to gain in the offseason by not playing now. On Friday, we began our journey through the NBA. We were going, at least on Friday it was, three teams at a time on how to draft for NBA resumption leagues. We got through the three top records in the Western Conference, the Lakers, the Clippers, and Nuggets, going through basically what to expect of each player on those teams, whether or not they're worth drafting, and if so, where? So we'll pick up where we left off on that front. Again, the key tenets at this point are figuring out if a team has something to play for because what we need the most during this resumption, guys that are going to play in eight games. You want your best picks, your five first five or six rounds in particular, to be guys that are in there all eight games or damn it, as close to that as, as we can get. So we'll start with the Utah Jazz today as we work our way down the record chart in the Western Conference. Jazz finished the uh, abridged regular season at 41-23, and 18 games over 500. And it's weird to say the following about a team that finished 18 games over 500, but it was a little bit of a letdown. They were 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games going into this hiatus. They were 5-5 five and five within the Northwest Division, which is not very good. They were surprisingly decent on the road for a team that historically, in altitude, has had a big advantage in their home arena. They dealt with Mike Conley not fitting in for most of the season, Mike Conley being shoehorned in over the last month or so when they just gave him a little more wiggle room. And yeah, his numbers did look a little bit better over that stretch. They dealt with, right before the shutdown, the Rudy Gobert-Donovan Mitchell rift, coronavirus rift, and they come back from the break with no boy on Bogdanovich, who, again, hurt his wrist at some point in January. And then, I again, I, I don't really know why he waited so long to, to have surgery on it. Maybe they were, what, waiting to see if it would heal on its own first? But if they were, my guess here is... Because the off-scene is going to be so short, that Boyan looked at it this and said, what are really are our chances to win the championship this year? I want to be healthy for next season, and if that's the case, I got to get this done now. Because if he waited, and Utah played in these eight games, and then they played the playoffs, and maybe they make it to the second round, 
let's say they lose to the Lakers in the second round, you're talking about September 1, basically, their season ends. That gives them September, October, November to have a big surgery and recover from it. I, I think he'd rather give himself half the year and just kind of, I mean, it's it's weird for have a, to say this, and I'm sure the team is looking at it the same way and saying, look, do you really not believe in us to that to that degree? But he looked at it from a pragmatic standpoint. He said, look, my wrist hurts. I'm not helping the team as much as I could. I don't think we're going to win the championship anyway, so I'm not going to break my wrist to do it. I'm not going to completely obliterate my career. And he went and he got himself done. So, Bogdanovich, who had been, by all accounts, quite durable this year. In fact, as a team, the Jazz were extraordinarily durable, aside from Mike Conley. Their main minutes guys all played 60 games or more. Rudy Gobert, 62. Donovan Mitchell, 63. Boyan, 63. Ingles, 64. Royce O'Neal, 64. Jordan Clarkson, who they picked up partway through the year, he actually played 63 games this year also, though not all of those were with Utah. Mike Conley, 41. Utah has some question marks, but at least on the front end of this discussion, we can say with confidence they're going to play hard during those eight games for two very important reasons. One is seeding. They're the four seed, game and a half behind Denver, and a game up on Utah, uh, Oklahoma City excuse me, and Houston. So there's a lot of places they could go. I think they'd also prefer to get outside of the Lakers' bracket, if at all possible. Although, again, you're looking at the Lakers or the Clippers, no matter where you end up. But if they get themselves into the three seed, let's say they pass the Nuggets, they have the Rockets in the first round instead of Oklahoma City, and then it would be the Clippers in the second round. If they fall back, it's still the Thunder... And if they fall back farther, they might even end up playing the Nuggets on the road. There are a lot of reasons for Utah to want to maintain their seeding or potentially move up. Home court being a big deal, although, you know, again, Orlando, we haven't fully figured out how that's all going to work out. So I don't know that that should be the main focus here. I also don't know that they're going to be overly concerned with who they play they'd probably rather play the thunder in the first round than the rockets or the nuggets truth be told i know the thunder have the same record as the rockets but doesn't the combination of harden westbrook scare you a little bit more in the playoffs sorry okc i love what you've done this year you've been a fantasy juggernaut but you're just not quite as intimidating as some of the other these uh, other teams around you so I think if you're Utah, you're probably hoping you're getting the Thunder in the first round. They want to maintain that. But maybe the most important reasons I think they play hard is that they weren't playing well going into the break, and they now have to figure out how to play without Bogdanovich. Who slots into that particular role? There really isn't anyone on the roster that fills that mold. The closest thing is Jordan Clarkson as a scoring type, but they're pretty different basketball players. So if I had to guess... And Bogdanovich was something of a three-slash-four for most of this regular season. They probably go to Joe Ingles. You probably see more Joe Ingles with the starting unit. Go along with Mike Conley, just mentioned Ingles, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, O'Neal, 
Royce O'Neal, is that your starting five with Bogdanovich out? I think they prefer to bring Jordan Clarkson off the bench, and I don't know that I see anyone else on this roster that they'd rather give a starting nod to there. So this does change the complexion of this team a tiny bit. First of all, let's start with the, the known commodities. Rudy Gobert finished at number 36 in nine category leagues. He started very slowly, and he played a lot better as the season went on. Although his rank, I guess, if you really slot it out, was pretty much in that 30 range. It was a rough start, and then it was like top 25 for a while, and then he just sort of coasted along around top 30. Finished the season at 15 points, 14 rebounds, almost a steal, two blocks, 70% from the field, a way too high a volume, 62% at the free throw line. He ended up becoming more of a punt guy this year than I think anybody would have hoped, just given the volume of free throws that Gobert took this season. That was a lot. When we built this year... For Gobert, we probably didn't expect him to be taking six free throws a game. If you're bad at foul shooting, you really, hopefully, you don't get to the line that often. But he did last year. He did this year. Now, so it's not a different beast. His minutes were up this season. His scoring was down. His usage was down. But his rebounding was up. Blocks were roughly the same. Assists were slightly down. So things didn't change all that much for Rudy. You know, the big difference season over season with someone like Gobert is blocks. If he's at two and a half, then he can creep up towards the top 20. If he's at two, it drops him back a whole round. That's how important that category is for Gobert. But he should be about the same guy coming back that we saw when he left. That's an easy one. I think generally the same feelings apply on Donovan Mitchell. Should be about the same guy coming back as when he left. Average 24 points. Four boards, four assists, a steal, two and a half threes, 45% from the field, 86 at the free throw line. It's a small sample size in those eight games, so some of the percentages will fluctuate a little bit. You finish at number 48 in nine cat. Again, we have to remember that you pull out about 30% of the players in front of a particular guy simply because eight teams aren't coming back. And then if we find out any other players aren't coming back, you can remove additional names in front of him on the roster. So we'll make all of these adjustments when we build our actual draft list. But this segment, this this portion of the show, this portion of the mid-off mid season, is all about figuring out if guys should be going earlier, later, whatever. Where things, I think, get a little bit more interesting is the Mike Conley... Joe Ingles grouping. Let's start with Mike Conley. Conley had a rough year. There's no question about it. Over the entire season, he was not good. And we almost don't even need to get into exactly how not good he was. He was not rosterable for the bulk of this 2019-2020 campaign. However, when they started to shoehorn him into that starting job and said, take shots, take them, take them, get the ball up towards the basket, take shots, he was okay. It's not a glowing review, I know, but it's not awful. Over the last 10 games prior to the shutdown, Conley was ranked 108, which if you think that sounds awful, you should also know Donovan Mitchell was ranked 102 over that stretch, so things can move pretty fast. Conley, 15.5 points, 2.5 three-pointers, 3.5 rebounds, 5 assists, a steal, 46% from the field, 85 at the free throw line. So really not bad, and certainly given the fact that eight teams are missing, he's draftable. He should be rostered in this reboot, 
especially when you consider the fact that Boyan Bogdanovich, over those last 10 games, was taking 13 shots a game. And on the season, Boyan was taking 15 shots a game. So presumably Conley upping his usage impacted Bogdanovich. Of those 15 Boyan shots, some are going to go to Conley. They just have to. I would say a lot are going to go to Ingles, who sat at about eight shots a game this year, but his numbers changed dramatically depending on when Conley was healthy. Just they asked him to do a lot of offense running when Mike was down. Ingles, his shots, I'm sure, go up from 8 to something in that 10-11 range. Conley, if he's sitting at 12 on the entire season, you take Bogdanovich out, that probably has to go up to 13 or 14, does it not? And with 13 or 14 shots a game, even if he's having a rough time, he's still well inside the top 100. So I like Mike Conley as a guy to take a step forward during this reboot, and I like Joe Ingles as a guy to step forward during this reboot, and maybe a little bit more of a clever one. Because with Conley, you're looking at a starting point guard. There's always been a lot of love for him. Us included. I thought he'd be better this year than he was. That was a miss. Uh, With Ingles, he was very much tied to whether or not he was the primary creator in the offense. Facilitator. Not that Donovan Mitchell was not the main guy. He's the main shooter. He's the main scoring guy. But for long stretches, Joe Ingles was the facilitator. During those, it was really like a month and a half when Conley was out towards the beginning of the season, December-ish, Ingles went nuts. He caught fire. Right around December 11th, if you want to look for the game when Joe kind of woke up, and you could even go back as far as maybe December 2 in that game in Philadelphia when he had 13-8-8, he went on a binge that ended basically January uh, 20th or so. All of a sudden, the shots just went away, the assists went away, everything just dried up. But during that run, not only was he rosterable, but he was very good, <laughs> right? There's a big difference there between just kind of hanging on and being a really good fantasy player. When Ingles is on his game, he's a top 75 guy. And that's, again, when everybody's playing. So we have to make some slight adjustments here to what we expect of these guys. I like those two players in particular because I think people are sleeping on him. It's weird that I can use the term sleepers with this resumption league, and I hate calling it that for the regular season because I don't think anybody's asleep anymore for the regular season full-year draft. By the way, over that month and a half-ish, month and a half, two months, that Ingles was the main guy and Mike Conley was largely not playing... Joe averaged 15, four and a half, six, and a steal, and he was a top 50 guy. He was actually the second highest ranked player on the team. While Conley was out, by the way, Rudy Gobert actually was much better. Ingles took about 10 shots a game, and that was with Boyan Bogdanovich taking 15 shots a night. But Conley now is back. Bogdanovich is out, so Ingles probably doesn't get bumped all the way to the top 50. He's not going to be that much of a lead facilitator, but he's going to be involved, and he should be rostered. And he should be, I would think, a guy that falls a little bit in drafts. I am not interested in Royce O'Neal. Let's talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's the next one on the docket for today as we roll our direction through here. Thunder, we already talked about. They're going to be playing hard. No question about it. They're 40 and 24. They're tied with the Rockets. Uh, they're currently in the five seed. Do they, do they care who they play in the first round? If they move up, they still play the Jazz. 
but get home court. I still don't know what the NBA is going to do about that. Both of those teams actually were decent on the at home and on the road. Thunder were a team that beat all the bad teams and played pretty even with the better ones. They were a very predictable team, and they were playing well going into the stretch. They were 8-2 and two, their last 10 games going into the layoff. That was tied for the best record in the NBA over the last 10 with the Lakers. So they're playing well. Chris Paul's style of play actually does work even better in the postseason. There's this... There's a, a misconception that he's been awful in the playoffs. He just hasn't been able to get over the hump. His style of play is better suited for slower ball games where things are moving into the half court a little bit. So I think they're going to play hard. They feel good about what they've done. I think Chris Paul wants to show that he's still got a lot left in the tank. I think they'd love to get out of the first round. This whole season has been the, oh yeah, you Russell Westbrook, Paul George, you guys left. Or the, oh yeah, I'm Chris Paul and you guys said I was cooked because I couldn't play next to James Harden. They got a lot to prove. I don't think they want to fall too far back in this mix. I I think there's certainly a feeling that they'd rather avoid the Lakers and the Clippers in the first round, which is doable, but they're only a game and a half up on Dallas to stay in that pocket. So this is a team that should play relatively hard during these eight games. And that's the thing with Utah and Oklahoma City. We're not really talking about these teams in terms of who might take games off. I think generally these teams are going to play their guys, at least the ones that are well enough to play. So for Oklahoma City, they might be one of the easiest ones we handicap here going into this resumption. Chris Paul was number 15 on the regular season. He was great, played in almost every ball game. No reason to think his role shifts all that much. Shea... Sorry, Chris Paul was better than 15. My apologies. He was 13 during the regular season. Shea was 45 during the regular season. Slow start, strong finish. Gallo was number 50. Dennis Schroeder was 113, although he was another guy that started slow and then ramped up as the year went on. And then the only names that I jumped over, you probably already noticed, were the two centers, Stephen Adams and Nerlens Noel, who kind of alternated being good throughout the year, and Nerlens ended up hanging on a little bit better than Adams did, although they, they ended up pretty close. Nerlens was 73 on the year, and Steven Adams was ranked 89 on the season. So let's start with the easy ones. Chris Paul, Shea, Gallo. There's basically no reason to think that their roles change. Same with Dennis Schroeder. The only thing that you do here is you look at their numbers and you say, okay, again, same calculation, 8 out of 30 teams, is 27% of the NBA. So you assume that about roughly, again, this is not exact, but roughly 27% of the names in front of the guys we're looking at are off the board. So what's 27% of 45? Who's is 12? So you can assume Shea in the resumption should be more like top 35, top 33, versus top 45. So we'll make all these adjustments later. Again, this is not one that we're going to do right now. It's fuzzy math. You know, we can go through and we can get more exact with a scalpel, the names that we're pulling off of the list. But just for a who actually sits roughly where picture in your head, take 27% of the names away and move these guys up. Nerlens Noel and Steven Adams is, to me, the one spot you actually need to look on this team because the other four guys are definite roster guys during this resumption for the season 
And over the last roughly 20 games, Nerlens was in front of Steven Adams, although each of them took a little bit of a step back late in the year. It's not 100% clear why. One of the things that happened this season I don't think we foresaw, and, and we like Nerlens Noel. He's been one of those guys that's a, a fantasy juggernaut if you ever saw the minutes. It never seemed like he was going to get the minutes this year, and Steven Adams has historically been crazy durable. That dude plays through everything. If you look at his entire NBA career in Oklahoma City, he's never played fewer than 70 games, and he only once in his career played fewer than 76 games in the season, four out of six years hitting the 80-game mark. Dude never misses a game. And then, oddly enough, this year, he missed about, well, what is it, seven, eight, something like that? Which is still a low number. He still plays, even perhaps probably when he shouldn't. Actually, he only missed six, but he played hurt this year, which we haven't seen that much of, and they went easier on him during those stretches. A lot of it was early in the season. He was fighting through nagging stuff. His, his injuries seemed to diminish slightly as the year went on. They never fully went away. He played some partial games in January and then came back and you know, still had a couple of 23, 25-minute games mixed in there. When he was healthy, he was generally in the 32-minute range, but it just wasn't that often this year. That said, he, like everybody else, by the time the league comes back, will have had four months to get healthy. Presumably, his body will be fine when the league resumes, and so I think we have to assume he's going to be playing closer to that 28- to 32-minute range as opposed to the 25-minute range that was most of his year. Steven Adams finished at 27 minutes this season because there was a big chunk of games where he was playing only 24, 25 minutes that blended in with the 31 and 32. Nerlens Noel was at 18 and a half minutes this year because most of the time, most of the time, he was in that 16-17 range, and then for little spurts here and there, Games where Steven Adams sat it out. Games where Steven Adams was playing hurt. Nerlens was in that 22-23 minute range, and it balanced out. Now, the beauty of Nerlens is if he can hit 20 minutes, he's a fantasy juggernaut. That's it. That's all it takes. So it's not much. The downside, of course, is if Steven Adams is truly healthy, Nerlens is going to be in that 17-18 minute range where he's a little bit more on the cuspy, if that makes any sense. If you look at his game log, look for the games where the minutes have a 2 at the front, meaning 20-plus, versus the games where they have a 1 or a 0 in that 10s column. There's a pretty big difference. He's outside the top 100 when he's in that 18-minute range, and he's inside, well inside, when he's in the 20-22-minute 20 to 22-minute range. Therein lies the problem with these guys that pile up fantasy stats really fast is it only takes a couple minutes for them to fall back out of the picture. Now, again, with the 27% of names, com names coming off the board, both Nerlens Noel and Steven Adams will be rostered during this resumption period, and they should be. The issue, I guess, for me is if Nerlens Noel is going to get drafted near the 73 that he finished this regular season and, and 73 minus... You guys get it. 73, what is it? What is 27% of 73? About, about 19 or 20. Like, if he's going to get drafted in the 50s, I don't think I'm doing it. That's, that's about as high as he's going at this point. If he falls back farther, 
And I realize, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just here. Pause, pause our Nerland's Noel discussion for just a second. As we go through these names and numbers during this uh, preview to the resumption portion of our offseason here on Fantasy NBA Today, I'm going to treat the numbers as though all 30 teams are playing. So I'm going to say Nerland's Noel, you know, he probably comes back as more like a top 90 type guy, top 90, top 100 during this resumption. But that doesn't mean that's where he's going to finish during the resumption. What that actually means is we're going to do the math the later. And if I call him a top 100 guy and we take 27% of the teams out, he's actually probably going to finish closer to 73, 75 among the resumption era teams. Okay? So 100 becomes 73. They are the same. 100 during the regular season is 73 during the resumption season. So I'm going to talk about all these guys under their regular season numbers. We'll make our adjustments in a couple of weeks when we actually start talking about real draft position. Okay? So bear with me on that. I'm going to remind you guys every show that that's how we're doing it. It's just easier than making this adjustment on the fly and removing 27% of the names in front of our guys as we're talking about each one. It's too hard. So... Nerlens Noel finished at 73 during the regular season, but I do think he takes a step back, which means he's probably close to 73 during the resumption season or more like a top 100 name. Steven Adams, probably a little bit behind him there just because of the deficiencies in his game, but if his minutes do ramp up to 30, he could get pretty damn close. They might end up mostly neck and neck. Overall, I like all six of the Thunder players that had value during the regular season. I think they have value again during this resumption season. I don't know if any of them is a value play during this resumption season, but if any of them could be, it would probably be Steven Adams because I think he probably comes back playing more minutes than he played when he went down. Question mark being, you know, how hard does any team push their player during this eight-game squirt? (laughs) That's because that's what it is at this point. It's possible none of these guys actually play 30 minutes a game. We might see teams just go easy all the way around, in which case you see reserves actually take the bump, and maybe then Nerlens Noel gets kicked up a notch. So that's a place to spot. It's a place to keep an eye on. Last team we're going to break down on today's show because I ended up getting caught in uh, NBA news for the first 10 minutes, 12 minutes, I think, of today's podcast, is the Houston Rockets. 40-24, and same record as the Thunder during the regular season. A little bit of a different breakdown. They were 22-10 at home, 18-14 on the road. Had a little bit of a tougher time away from their own arena. 25-17 within the division. Had a little more success outside the division, their division, than the Thunder did, which is fine. Houston, by all accounts, had the most well-rounded. They're in the most well-rounded division in the NBA. With all five of the Southwest Division teams continuing on here. So that's something. They don't have any of the top teams in the Western Conference. In fact, Utah or uh, Houston, I should say, is the top-ranked team in their division. Am I getting that right? Yeah, at forty and twenty-four. But Dallas is forty and twenty-seven. Memphis basically five hundred. Pels, Spurs, few games underneath. So they got all five middling teams in that conference. So it's a pretty well-matched deal. Um, I think Houston's going to play pretty hard, largely because I don't think those guys on that team know how to play any other way than hard. How many times has Mike D'Antoni tried to pull the plug on James Harden playing, and how many times has he said, no, I'm going to play? 
And then how many times has D'Antoni said, fine. So Harden coming back, he should be good. Russell Westbrook was having actually a really good season compared to at least my expectations for him. Finished at 37 with a 47.5% field goal number. Very high turnovers. And a lot of his peripheral stuff was down playing next to Harden. But he did get that big bump in efficiency that happens every once in a while. I know he said don't get cute anymore, but Westbrook, it actually worked. Took games off, so if anybody on this team is going to miss a game during the resumption season, it would be Westbrook. I don't think they let him play in all eight of these games. I do think they want to improve their standings, but I don't think they feel like it's worth running any of their guys into the ground. Who knows? Maybe he does play in all eight, but considering there's no home court, they're playing the Nuggets in the first round. I don't think they have any real fear there. I think they prefer to avoid dropping into the seven spot and having to deal with the Clippers. So I think they probably play just well enough to stay in front of Dallas. But this is also a team that was figuring out the mega small ball stuff. And so I think there's also a we need to finish the experiment we started mentality. And so you get, I think, the main guys playing pretty good minutes. One of the big differences for the Rockets coming back from this resumption is that more than likely Eric Gordon will actually be healthy enough to play most of the games. He really wasn't this regular season, and he's not good from a fantasy perspective. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. But he does take away from some of the other guys, at the very least. So no, I'm not drafting Eric Gordon. But yes, I am aware that his presence will hurt Daniel House and will hurt... Whatever chance someone like a Ben McLemore or Austin Rivers might have had to make a little bit of noise, probably not much. And so I think then you lop off almost all of those names and you look at the Rockets as basically a three-horse team. Harden, Covington, Westbrook. Probably in that order. The only other guy that to me gets close would be P.J. Tucker because he will most likely plod along in his eight games He'll probably play all eight at a top 125 or 130 clip. And in this resumption season, that basically puts him at the edge of the top 100. And that's probably useful. But I wouldn't hurt you either way if you if you weren't into it. As we talked about already, there are teams where there are going to be guys shutting her down. And we're going to have some backups that we're going to want to slot in there to use up our roto games. Harden should probably be the number one guy during this eight-game resumption. Should. Rob Covington, uh, after his trade to Houston, was basically a top 30 fantasy player. He was amazing, and he, I think, should be awesome coming back. I might target Rob Covington because I think he's flown under the radar a little bit. And then Westbrook, you know, hovering between 30 and 40. Uh, I see no reason to see to expect his numbers to change all that much. So this is a pretty easy team to handicap, and they were during the regular season also, once we realized that Westbrook and Harden were going to use up every, every single drop, squeeze out every drop of usage on this team. And then Covington came along, and in his 10, 11 shots a game, was able to do more than enough because he's playing power forward, so he's going to rebound a bunch. He's going to hit a bunch of threes. His defensive stats are always crazy high. There's no value with James Harden, but if you get the first pick, you should take him because he's going to carry you. There's no real value with Russell Westbrook because as good as he played this year, he still can't seem to get inside the top 25, given his 
some of the weird limitations to his nine-category fantasy game. Uh, P.J. Tucker, I think, is right on the edge of it. Not super interesting from a we-want-to-get-the-most-we-can-out-of-our-games. And then with Houston, I think Rob Covington is the guy you target. He probably falls to more or less where he went to start the year, which was 40, because he finished this year, by the way, at 39. But he was so good in the Houston small ball situation with the rebounding, the blocked shots going up, and the three-pointers. I mean, no one's going to stop him from shooting threes in Houston. Perfect, perfect fit around Harden and Westbrook. Perfect fit. And I think, depending on where we see him go, again, we, you know, we have to wait until these ADPs come out because it's hard to visualize where a guy might get drafted. If he was getting drafted at 40 before and 27% of the NBA isn't playing, can we safely assume he's going to get drafted at 30? Maybe he goes at 30 during this resumption, and if he was playing with the Rockets and he was something of a you know top 25 guy in Houston, do we eliminate now 30 per, roughly 30% of those names and say he's inside the top 20 with the Rockets? I think the answer is maybe yes. So when you remove the names, I think Covington could actually be a top 20 resumption rank guy that maybe gets drafted mid-third round. I'm all over it. I'm all over it. All right, we'll put a pin in this one. If there's not a ton of NBA news tomorrow, hopefully we can get through more than just three names. But today there was a bunch of NBA stuff needed to be talked about. And it gave us time to talk about the Jazz, the Thunder, and the Rockets. Tomorrow we'll start off with the Dallas Mavericks. And that should be fun. Mavs, Grizz. And then we get into the teams where you really start to think about who might truly play. That's where things are going to get real goofy. A lot, a lot to think about with the teams just outside the bubble in the Western Conference in particular. So that'll be fun. That discussion will likely start tomorrow and will carry us through another uh, couple of days this week. And then we got the Eastern Conference to, to deal with as well. And hopefully by the end of that, we'll start to get some actual leagues going and we can talk about real draft stuff, real draft numbers, where these guys are setting up. Reminder, everybody, if you're interested in joining our DFS team here at HoopBall, hit me up. Actually, our sales team also. DFS and sales, we're pushing hard right now. The recruiting pitch is on at Dan Vespers on Twitter, or if it's on the DFS stuff, you can hit up at Mike Apatria on Twitter. Running the DFS podcast and handling a lot of our DFS stuff here at HoopBall. Uh, again, if you want to make some cash doing sales, if you're good on the phones, hit me up. Uh, the commission structure is quite nice. At Dan Vespers, again, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S on Twitter. And if you want to talk DFS, you can bug us as well. You can also email in if you're not on social media, teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Hope you guys are enjoying these shows, really doing my best to find things that are still fantasy-related, and I think this one should be pretty helpful come resumption time. You guys should all join them. We're going to need something to do. I'm Dan Baspers. This was Fantasy NBA Today Hoopball Presentation. Enjoy your Monday, everybody. We'll talk at you tomorrow. This has been a hoop ball presentation.